We converse in this episode with Janis Kaczynski, founding dean of the Lausanne School of Engineering, located on the campus of York University in Toronto, Canada. Our discussion covers going about building a brand new engineering school from scratch and how to become a creative problem solver, or as Dean Kaczynski puts it, a renaissance engineer. The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 61, Renaissance Engineer, August 7th, 2014. So, Carmen, do you consider yourself to be a well-rounded individual? Well, if I keep drinking a beer every time we record, I will be physically well-rounded, yes. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking a little differently, sort of a, uh, you know, socially, intellectually well-rounded. Well, maybe the listeners wanted to hear about my physique, but, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, no, I, I think in general, I, I try to be pretty well-rounded. You know, I not only keep up to date you know, what I can in my field, you know, I'm always studying new areas and whether it's cooking or beer or harvesting hops as I did the other week, which was pretty cool. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I try to stay pretty well-rounded. I do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and was this something that, uh, I mean, is this something that you do go out of your way to try to, you know, broaden your horizons or is this just part of your makeup? You've always been interested in some of the things that go on in the world around you. Uh, I've kind of always just been interested in you know, things going on around me and, you know, I'll find whether it's cooking or whatever. Once I get attached to a subject, I'll spend a, a few weeks to a couple months really getting into it. And then, you know, that just becomes a thing I do and I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I read about what employers have to say about engineers. And one of the things that typically at least gets reported in the press, I haven't talked with lots of employers myself, but one of the things that gets reported is that Engineers just don't know how to get along with others. They're not, they don't know how to be team players. They don't know how to be collaborators. And an awful lot of one's job out in the workforce is getting along with others. Is in that what you found in your job? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, actually, this podcast came at a good time because I just got First Silicon back on a new chip uh, this past Saturday. So there's quite a bit of collaboration as, you know, people from three, four, five, six departments, I'll try and figure out, is this damn thing working right? Or is it, uh, <laughs> is it really messed up? So there's a lot of collaboration involved. You know, you got to yeah. share your updates in a timely manner and, you know, uh, not, not too proud to admit I've made a few mistakes so far with my board design. So that is, that's crossed a few of the issues off the list is not related to the part. And thankfully they haven't been showstoppers, but you know, it takes a lot of collaboration, so everyone else isn't chasing down dead ends that you solved hours or days ago. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I am glad to hear that your board is uh, at least not beyond repair. No, no. A uh, couple of wrong resistor values, and, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't provide power to one of our chips, but that's, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. I, I take it that's important. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have zero current draw chips yet. Um, it needs it needs five volts <laughs> and the, the funny thing was it was working just long enough to or just well enough to make us neglect that for a few hours but you know whatever well i'm sure you'll get it all sorted out in the not too distant future oh yeah tomorrow by lunch i'll be, be able to kick back and relax <laughs> excellent 
Excellent. Well, you know, a lot of schools uh, have focused for so long on the technical aspects of engineering that I think the pendulum is starting to to swing back and the, that the schools are starting to see more of the importance for engineers to uh, have communication skills and interpersonal skills and, and kind of what uh, gets called 21st century skills or soft skills. Mm-hmm. Oh, those and, are very uh, important. I got to break my habit of making up words for what happens because <laughs> no one knows what the heck I'm talking about and I have to rewrite the email. <laughs> well, uh, you know, maybe maybe you have a, a future in poetry or, or uh, creative literature. Yeah, story for another time, but I did almost minor in poetry. Ooh. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have to go into that some other time. All right. Made it, make a note for it. <laughs> All right. Well, along the lines of, of trying to understand better what uh, tomorrow's engineers might be learning today, uh, what skills tomorrow engineers might need. Uh, we've invited someone to join us uh, who has a, a strong background and a strong interest in educating tomorrow's engineers. And so our guest for this episode is uh, Janis Kaczynski, the founding dean of the Lausanne School of Engineering at York University in Toronto, Canada, an academic leader, multidisciplinary researcher, creative thinker, arts enthusiast, entrepreneur, and a speaker of five languages, uh, Dr. Kaczynski is actively involved in expanding the role of engineering professionals, encouraging his students to reach beyond narrowly defined technical interests to instead become cross-disciplinary problem solvers that he refers to as Renaissance engineers. Giannis, welcome to the Engineering Commons. Thank you very much, Jack. It, it's a terrific uh, introduction. I liked it very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we aim to please. Yeah, yeah. If you have any other titles you'd like us to add, please feel free. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll throw them in the show notes. Jeff is our grand vizier. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It, uh, typically, both my students and my colleagues, they call me Janos, and, and this is perfectly all right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Terrific. Well, Giannis, uh, one of the questions we almost always ask our guests uh, to begin these interviews are, is, uh, what got you interested in engineering? Um, so I, I, was, I was brought up in a house that was uh, very much open. And um, my father was a politician and my mother was a poet. So uh, we, we had, uh, we had uh, all sorts of people uh, every evening. And uh, except, in fact, having engineers. It was a long time ago, back in Poland, and in fact, uh, engineers were perceived the way that you just mentioned, without too many social skills. So so I, I believe my parents didn't be, believe that they are going to bring a lot of um, uh, good to, uh, to our every evening conversations. And uh, I tend to Tended to be a, a rebel all my life, so so uh, that's why I decided to become one, to become an engineer, um, <laughs> uh, and um, and I loved it since I since I started it back in Poland, and then I had a unique opportunity to uh, explore the profession and the education of engineering in a variety of of places in the United States and also uh, in uh, England and in uh, France and in Germany, uh, certainly in Poland and, and now in Canada. So and and it is uh, so very different. It's very very interesting. Fantastic. So you got interested in engineering, and uh, your early research investigated. And let me look read this so I get it right. Oxidation of soot particles and mutagenic hydrocarbons during combustion of solid and liquid fuels. Oh, where, where did you get it from? In fact, that's exactly <laughs> what. What it was? 
that was on a, a, a resume the, of yours that I found. But I was curious. I mean, that sounds like a, a interesting mix of topics from both mechanical and chemical engineering. And I'm kind of wondering what led you into this field of study. Yeah, so uh, I got I got very much interested in uh, at that time in the field of uh, biomedical engineering because it was not that much work done uh, at that time. It's all about understanding how some pollutants that, that enter your body and um, from the, uh, the surrounding environment when they go to kidney or lungs, how they change your cells into a variety of mutations leading to, to potential cancerogenic changes. So essentially, I was, I was just studying how those, the, the, those exotic substances that you mentioned, such as polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons or small soot particles, how they affect uh, human beings. Right. And so what got you interested in this, though? I mean, so you, you enter school, obviously, you know, your freshman year, it's a little early for you to know what these things are. Was, was there a, an advisor, a professor? Was there somebody that led you into this? Or was there a bit of research that you came across? You said, this is the area that I want to go into. Yeah, so I, I had a terrific mentor who just came back from a, a fellowship from the United States. Um, and it was the newest thing that was being done at MIT at that time. I think it was around 1978, 1979. Um, and, uh, and I got very much interested uh, in it. I, I spoke some languages, so I was able to, uh, uh, to understand better the subject from, from uh, a variety of points of view. Uh, I read a lot of um, Russian literature and, and, and English or U.S. literature, um, and I was able to to propose quickly some theoretical model behind it that people liked, and then we designed an experiment to test it. And we were lucky that uh, some of those experiments were, were were working, and we published very quickly, and um, and, and we received an invitation from from my further. Um, mentor from from MIT who invited me to to come and to work with him. So it it was as most of the things in uh, science or in engineering, a lot of these things are are absolutely accidental. And if if other people tell you that they plan experiments and and they put the uh, thesis and antithesis and prove one or disprove the other one, and they uh, believe the and there will be some uh, results coming out of it. This is absolutely not true. If you <laughs> wanted to, uh, there's a wonderful book uh, describing how DNA was uh, discovered by Watson and, and Crick. And, uh, and they, that's, that's what they uh, described. It was uh, a very chaotic scene. And since then, um, I, whenever I go to my laboratory and talk to my postdoctoral students, uh, postdoctoral fellows or doctoral students. And whenever I go there and if I see that everything is nice and beautiful and shiny, and I know that not much work is being done, I like <laughs> my lab to be messy and a bit chaotic because that's how work is really being done. See, I, I find I'm the opposite of that. I have to keep a clean bench as I work. And in between projects, I clean it off and have a clean state to start with. Uh, well, um, you see, we, we have uh, all different styles. And 
and it's perfectly all right if that that's something that stimulates you and leads to uh, to uh, uh, your satisfaction. That, that that that's what you should be doing. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't get chaotic, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> you'll get some right. of my coworkers' benches, and you you know you try to grab a you know tool or whatever, and it looks like the whole pile may topple over, and you know, <laughs> I can't do that myself, but. I agree with the chaos part, you know, unstructured, just kind of going off and exploring is a lot good way to get things done. Yes, indeed. Particularly if if you if you're doing a lot of experiments, because experiments are totally unpredictable. Yeah, you never know which way you're going to go and what path yeah. you're going to go. And down. that's the beauty of it, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you brought up DNA and how that was discovered, and I remember. Uh, from my physics lectures in college, they were talking about how, you know, they discovered the, the spin property of electrons. Um, I'm going to forget the exact details of this experiment, but they were firing electrons at like a, a sheet of silver and they were wondering what happened and they got in close to examine it and they blew cigar smoke on there. And then all of a sudden they noticed there are two regions, one higher than their target area and one lower than their target area. And somehow the electrons had interacted with the magnetic field and the spin up ones went up and the spin down ones went down or however it was and you know completely by accident because they were smoking in the lab they discovered a whole new property of matter and that is great well uh, by the way that, that's how physicists would go about uh, discovering more about the world um, in- engineers are dealing with uh, typically more applied and, and practical matters yeah, um, yeah. If I discover a new phase of matter or something, I've I've gone off the beaten path. <laughs> right. So, Giannis, I, I'm kind of curious. When at this early stage, you're doing this research, you're doing a postdoc with MIT. Did you have any sense then that you'd ever do anything but research? Did you have any idea that someday you'd be the dean, you know, the founding dean of an engineering school? No, not at all. No, I I love research. In fact, if you ask me, I the uh, typically would uh, describe myself as uh, as a researcher. And in fact, okay. that's what I do. I, I, my, I have a large group and, and, uh, and really big uh, research program and, and perhaps one of the highest uh, uh, research grants uh, in Canada in my field, in chemical engineering. Uh, so I do a lot of it. And I, uh, in order to, to keep saying, I don't uh, do any administration uh, on Wednesdays, and I always do I do research, and then always on on Sundays as well, and and you can uh, I can do in one day, such um, as on Sunday, much more than, than I would be able to do during the week when there is there are a lot of more uh, uh, interruptions. So uh, so I consider myself predominantly as a researcher, and uh, then then as, as a teacher as well. Um, right. uh, I, I love teaching. I, I was when I was teaching. I, I believe some of my students liked it very much, and they let me know about it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, uh, I I had a few ideas about uh, uh, based exclusively on my own experiences um, how we should consider engineering in a different way, um, uh, because indeed it was. Um, it's still being taught the way that, that is relatively unidimensional. And uh, my colleagues and I, we developed this concept of, of a different kind of engineering, this uh, Renaissance type of, of engineering, when we would like to uh, introduce many different subjects 
um, uh, to let engineers discover themselves better. Uh, and that's what we did. We, uh, we developed a program that, uh, that is very strong on a technical um, side uh, and, and scientific as well, but also uh, that teaches uh, engineers to, uh, to speak more than one language. And when I say speak, it's not just to, to speak per se, it is to understand customs, understand uh, um, uh, people in different countries, uh, understand their behaviors, but also understanding more about uh, major cultures and religions in the world, um, uh, and, and simply uh, understand what it means to have uh, an open mind and open heart for, for the others. So we, we did uh, add to uh, the engineering program um, uh, quite a lot of, of the, those qualities, but at the same time, we interacted with industry and colleagues in industry were telling us that when they uh, hire engineers, young engineers, what they don't understand is how a company really uh, is functioning or what how the stock market changes uh, what what are what what is the meaning of uh, of, of a variety of stocks that the company would uh, um, issue and uh, so we we felt that um, adding a strong element related to business would be very very important and then we realized that a lot of engineers, when they graduate and they get their professional designation, PNG in Canada, um, then a lot of them, what they do is they do open their own companies. Mm -hmm. So what we felt is that it's very important uh, if you have your own company, it's very important to understand the meaning of uh, professional integrity, uh, ethics, um, and uh, and we linked uh, our engineering program also with uh, the law school. So essentially, we linked in three professional schools, engineering, business, and law. Um, and so we just simply felt that it, make, it makes sense. And uh, young people responded uh, dramatically to it. Uh, and within just one year, our applications went up by 74.8%. It's, it's, it's totally wow. unheard of. But even, even more so, what we were very pleased with is that uh, a substantial, almost one-third of those came from female students. And it, that, that is uh, terrific because typically in engineering in, in the United States and in Canada, I think the, the proportion of women in in our field, it's approximately 18% or so. It's way, way mm -hmm. too low. Um, uh, our goal in the Lausanne School is to, uh, is to get uh, gender parity. Uh, it's, it's a long way for us. It's going to be. But that's what we decided to do. And whatever we do today, next week, next month, and next year, it, it is consistent with uh, what we would like to achieve. So... Um, we we are we're doing fine uh, at the moment. I have to say that it's not that easy to to just uh, say that you want to create something and then go about and creating it, because in academia we have a very collegial environment, 
um, uh, and I respect it. Although as dean, I always tell my colleagues, faculty members, that I'm prepared to discuss things for as long as reasonable rather than for as mm -hmm. long as possible. It's <laughs> a good attitude to take. Yeah, somebody has to take and, um, and make a decision and uh, and take responsibility for it. Um, uh, so we, we were able to convince our colleagues that the optimal way, perhaps, for us to uh, to establish this new program. And uh, but I have to say that it is also very very costly. Uh, so we were lucky. Uh, we received quite a lot of funds from individuals, donations, but also from the government um, and, and from our students. And uh, so uh, so we implemented it, and it seems it's it's working all right thus far. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can imagine, you know, trying to start up this uh, Lausanne School of Engineering, which is in, it's part of a larger university, am I right? It's not like its own private college? Yes, it's a large university, 55,000 students oh, okay. uh, wow. at that university. So it's a rather large, the third largest university in Canada. Okay. Wow, that's impressive. So, I, I mean, what kind of steps did you have to take to... Uh, prove to the administration that this is a worth worthwhile experiment to, you know, partake in. Um, I can't imagine they just handed you a blank check and said, yeah, sure, go ahead and completely revamp our curriculum. It probably took a little winning over. Yeah, so um, look, there are two elements that work tremendously well uh, um, in our favor. One is that uh, the president of our university is uh, an engineer. It's the first time in the history of this particular university that we have an engineer as a president and who was the, uh, the dean of the, one of the best engineering schools in Canada prior to joining York. So, uh, and, and uh, he, uh, he gets it. So he, he was very, very helpful. Um, but also what we were able to, um, uh, to, to receive independent funding um, from uh, the first 25 million that we received, it was from Pierre Lassonde, and, and he was looking for a uh, legacy investment in, in uh, a Canadian uh, university. And, and we came up with this concept of Renaissance engineering, and he loved it. Uh, he gave us 25 million, and then we matched it immediately from the university, so we had 50 million, and then the, the provincial government in Ontario matched it all. So in, in just, uh, think, uh, not even four weeks, we suddenly had uh, one million, uh, hundred million dollars. Uh, and then <laughs> wow. uh, the it's project at the moment, uh, since then, we, we multiplied it. So, so the project is, is uh, at the moment around 250 million dollars, and uh, we're growing our student body by additional. 1500. We are hiring 100 new people, including 17 new professors, faculty members. And uh, we are now finishing uh, another building of ours. We call it the cloud because it just it resembles the uh, concept of a cloud. We, we like that because we like things that are not very well defined, that there is something uh, that you can improve. And we always believe that uh, the real beauty is in imperfection. And there are always imperfections in, in a cloud. So we instructed our uh, architects to make sure that there are some imperfections in our building. 
um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, you see, we we ten, we're doing things uh, for the fun of it, but also things that uh, make sense and and matter. So, with this uh, this uh, generous funding that you had coming in, what were you starting with? Was uh, York did York University have a you know, had it been a traditional powerhouse in engineering education, or was it a fairly small, or was it even a non-existent engineering school that you started with? Yeah, so 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, there was no engineering whatsoever at York. Uh, prior to coming to York, uh, I spent in Canada, I spent almost 16 years as a professor of engineering at McGill University. McGill is one of the uh, best universities in Canada, one of the top uh, 20, 25 in the world. Yeah, I think half my mm -hmm. textbooks have McGill on them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so the, the, the truth was when I was at McGill, I didn't even know that there is engineering at, uh, at York. That's, that's, it just it tells you. Well, it tells you a little bit that we were uh, somewhat uh, arrogant uh, in a sense, but, uh, but also, uh, or n not informed but also about uh, uh, relatively small boutique programs at York. Those are very good programs, such as space engineering was the, is the, still the only uh, program of this kind in Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but there's very small uh, and programs that uh, were very difficult to find anywhere else. They didn't have uh, the classical engineering programs, such as mechanical or civil or electrical. Uh, so we, we created them all. Fantastic. Wow. That's impressive. So it was nice. You had to start the curriculum with a, a really blank slate, which is not something that many people can say they've had the opportunity to do. Yeah, that, that's true. And in fact, it's very helpful. Um, I remember when, when I was at other engineering schools at McGill, for example, when we wanted to change um, uh, a, a curriculum somewhat, just adding a course or two, it would take forever because uh, colleagues would think that someone else is infringing on, on their expertise or on their um, academic freedom. And it would be endless discussions about it and very little would get done. So we had a truly unique opportunity to start something um, uh, perhaps not from the scratch, but, but uh, something that we truly would be able to create and then shape and then implement. Um, and La Sonde is the, uh, the, the newest engineering school in Canada. The last one was created 40 years ago. So knowing that you have uh, uh, such a unique opportunity um, and having uh, enough funding to do so, we decided not to limit ourselves, um, and uh, it's paying off. So I was kind of wondering, uh, as you were describing these courses that you had integrated into this program, you, you know, you had business courses and law courses as well as a rigorous engineering program, and I'm wondering, how, how do you fit this all in with the students not being there seven or eight years? Yeah, so our program, uh, our engineering uh, program is longer than uh, in any other school in Canada. In our case, in order to get a degree, it would take at least, an uh, engineering degree, um, uh, it would take at least four and a half years, sometimes perhaps five, 
But on the other hand, um, uh, we are introducing our students to business curriculum and to law from uh, year one. And uh, when they when they finish their engineering degree, they can seamlessly transfer to uh, the business school and uh, to the MBA program. And it should not take longer than perhaps half a year, maybe just a little longer. Or they can they can seamlessly transfer to uh, law school and then will be would be able to get a JD degree within perhaps a year and then year and, and just a little bit. So um, if, if you if you really would like to collect degrees, then in principle, within just uh, six years, you should you would be able to get the, the three professional degrees of JD and MBA and uh, BNG. That's impressive. <laughs> well, look, the, the truth is we, we're not going to have too many students um, with that, that will actually uh, be uh, willing to, um, uh, to, 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 to accomplish this. Um, but, uh, but that, it's not, not a big problem from our perspective. What really matters to us is that, uh, every single engineering student that will be graduating from La Sonde will have substantial exposure to, uh, uh, legal aspects of, of the profession, such as understanding the meaning of intellectual property, and particularly international intellectual property. And uh, they will be able to also understand uh, the business side of, um, of, of creating a business, such as uh, marketing or, or uh, uh, financial engineering and uh, stock markets and so on. So um, they will all have that knowledge. And so with this knowledge, what is it that you want your uh, so-called renaissance engineer, what, what kind of person do you want them to be? I, I, I note that you've, you've commented that you want to, one thing you said is you wanted them to be citizens of the world. Can you expand on, you know, sort of the, the uh, personality, the, the, the attributes of someone that you would you'd consider a renaissance engineer? Uh, y- yes, yes. With pleasure. So in, in short, uh, you see, what we would like our people to uh, to, to be is that we would like to have professionals with both passion and perspective. Now, and maybe expanding it a bit more, is that we really would like to make sure that when our students are, when they graduate, they are not just seeking um, a job, that they are able to create jobs themselves. And uh, that's why our curriculum is designed as such that uh, we are uh, graduating uh, entrepreneurial engineers with a social conscience and, and, and the sense of global citizenship. Those are the three elements uh, uh, that really matter to, um, to us. Entrepreneurial spirit, uh, social consciousness, and uh, understanding the, uh, um, the world. Um, that that's the education. Those are the three key pillars uh, around which we, we design the more specific um, education. At, and this is all at the undergraduate level. If the graduate education is, is slightly uh, slightly different, and in fact, we are still experimenting with it. Right. And so, when did all this start? I I know that you've got a building coming online in the next 
years. So, but do you have any students that have gone all the way through the program or are they just partially way, way through the program at this point? Yes. So we started, but we created La Sonde formally back in 2012. But, um, okay. uh, but we, we started uh, in uh, 2011. So we will be graduating uh, the first uh, cohort of students next year. It is true that our new building will be ready next time, but we do have uh, two and a half other buildings that, that we, uh, we've adopted to, to reflect on our programs. See, right. because uh, since we created the new program, then we thought about it and said, if we have a new program, we have to try to deliver it slightly differently. And uh, at that time, uh, yeah, there was... Uh, uh, the concept of flipping the classroom was relatively fashionable, and we felt that it, it's going to fit quite nicely what we want to mm -hmm. do. So we embraced it, and we prepared a lot of our spaces the way that uh, are using the flipping the classroom concept, and our new building is uh, designed totally differently. I remember when we had uh, the, uh, um, the groundbreaking ceremony, um, uh, just a, one year ago, and we were hosting a mi provincial minister who gave us $50 million for the building. And he came and, 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 and says, uh, well, Dean, so how many lecture halls you're going to have in your building? How big they are going to be? And I said, Minister, we're going to have zero lecture halls. <laughs> no, needless to say, there was some consternation for, for a little while. Right. But, uh, but then I explained why we don't have it, why we don't need big lecture halls and why we need small places. Uh, so our students, uh, our students work in groups never larger than maybe 24. And what they do is uh, prior, well, normally students come to the university, they go to a large lecture hall and listen to, to one fellow professor in front of them, and then they go home and uh, solve problems. So this flip, flipping the classroom concept is, 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 the, is the opposite, since there is so much terrific um, material available um, on the net, then we want our students to, uh, to have access to lectures wherever they are. If they are at home, on the bus, in a cafeteria, and so on, and they can they can look at it, um, look it up many times. When they come to the university, we want them to work in small groups together with professors on solving problems. And that's how we design um, our curriculum and designed our building and created partnerships. For example, we created a partnership with, uh, Ed, uh, with edX, which is one of the companies that, that uh, are delivering the curriculum via internet. Mm -hmm. Is there a big uh, online course aspect too, going off of what you just said there with uh, online content? Yeah, so it, it, it is, it's perhaps around uh, 40%. Of course, you, you can't have laboratories on uh, um, delivered via internet, so there, there will always be uh, a direct uh, contact between a professor and, and a student, and that's what we like very much. But... Uh, we also, also uh, offer an opportunity to, to, 
students who really um, like the uh, the way how lectures are being delivered via internet. I don't know if you you had an opportunity to take a look at it. I mean, it's a it's it's um, uh, terrific, absolutely excellent. I I didn't realize uh, how um, uh, the high quality of of these uh, um, uh, these lectures that are being uh, that are being delivered. I I went just a couple of weeks ago. I was in in Cambridge, in Massachusetts, and I went to see how Harvard Business School is preparing itself for it. I think they in, they created a studio that is perhaps better than uh, than the networks uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, that they have. So uh, uh, it's uh, it the education is is being changed, and also um, uh, the delivery of it is changing. In fact, more even more dramatically. I'll have to keep my eye out for those courses. I haven't, I haven't taken a full one myself. I've just seen some videos here and there, but it's pretty impressive what's out there. You're right. Yes, as always, uh, it's, it's the open market. So uh, some are absolutely terrific, but uh, but I also saw a few that are relatively lousy. Um, I, I won't say what they are, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure people can realize. Yeah. You can shame them if you really want to. But. <laughs> um, so you are talking a little earlier that, you know, it takes about four and a half years for the engineering curriculum, and you'd mentioned partnerships with um, certain corporations and stuff in Canada. Do you have a, a co-op program, too, associated with your uh, new engineering curriculum, or is yes. that something you're hoping to build in? Oh, it's up yeah. and running already. Wow. Yeah, in, in fact, yes, we, we, we did. In, in fact, I, I have said we tested it uh, last year and we are um, fully implementing it uh, starting this September uh, so yes, we we pretty quick <laughs> yes we, we developed uh, we developed a uh, um, a portfolio of uh, I think right now maybe around 240 companies um, a lot of these companies they uh, uh, they are either related to us via research or they are friends of the school or, or simply, they, they are uh, some of our alumni. So we we place people in uh, uh, quite a few in Silicon Valley, um, and also in a variety of places in Canada. Uh, we like sending our students to Europe as well. We have very good relationship with uh, Ferrari, for example. That's going to be a fun co-op. <laughs> so yes, the, our students they spend sixteen months out of their program. Um, on on co-op. Mm-hmm. Is that all in one big block then, or do you, you chunk it up like a lot of schools do? Uh, we it's very flexible, but uh, it seems that the most popular approach is uh, four um, after the first or second year, four months, and then another four, and then eight months just prior to uh, graduation, which is good because it, it gives our students an opportunity to spend uh, more time at their potential employer and vice versa. These these companies, they have an opportunity to test drive, so to speak, um, our students. Um, So it's a a, a really good good alignment. Um, And we have a a really a rule that we would like to all of our students go and spend time 
um, sometime in, in industry. I remember when I was at McGill, I was one of those who created the, uh, the only co-op at that time uh, program in, uh, in engineering at, uh, at McGill. And it was um, amazing to see how different personalities people had, students have had, uh, those who went via a co-op and those who didn't. At that time at McGill, it was optional. Um, uh, so, so it was, they, they were much more mature. They knew how to, um, uh, how to present themselves. They were able to present concept in a concise way. Most importantly, they were able to write uh, one crisp page of a report rather than writing five pages. It's so easy to, to <laughs> Oh, to yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. What's that? It's hard. I said there's a lot, to, a lot to be said for that skill. It's hard enough to get people to read a, a full email that's, you know, two paragraphs long, let alone a whole report. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, so being able to condense everything into what's really needed to know, what you really need to know, I mean, uh, that, that's a good skill to have. I agree. Totally agree. So one of the focuses that I sense is important is that your Renaissance engineers be able to collaborate, cooperate, and we often associate that with a sense of empathy. And we've talked in previous episodes on this podcast about the fact there are engineering studies that suggest that engineering students, you know, on the whole, tend to be less empathetic than students in other disciplines. And so I'm curious whether you had as you develop this curriculum, whether that's, that topic came up and what your experience has been in trying to teach communication and uh, interpersonal skills to young engineering students? Uh, that's a great question, by the way. And, and indeed, the topic came up. So, so please let me give you a, an example. Um, typically, when we have uh, 18, 19-year-old uh, students, that, that choose engineering, what they do is they have this uh, um, uh, impression of engineer, engineers that, uh, that uh, change the world. That's what they do. They see Google and Facebook and Apple and, and so on. And when they come to uh, a traditional engineering uh, school, the first week what they have is a test in mathematics and in physics and in chemistry and professors are trying to prove to these young people what they don't know and do they they, they put the rankings and and force them to learn some subjects uh, and and it is totally it's not working because they are being forced to do something we decided to change that and uh, in our case our students start their engineering uh, uh, studies with, with something that we call a passion project. So we ask, they come and we tell them, look, what is it that uh, you would like to do as an engineer in order to change the world? And some of them, they, they decide to uh, develop an app on how to better or more efficiently deliver food to those that are less fortunate or Others will decide to uh, improve on a filter for uh, uh, for applications in, in, in some sanitation uh, stations in Africa and so on. And uh, and we say, yes, go ahead. So they do that. They are doing it for a couple of weeks, like let's say three, four weeks. And then 
at some point they would they realize that in order to extrapolate certain conditions in order to test the filter they have to use uh, uh, let's say partial differential equations so they mm-hmm. They would need to learn a little bit about it. And then others will say, well, we have to understand a bit more about magnetism or optics and, and so on. And that way, we are introducing our students to mathematics and physics and chemistry. It is seamless rather than, uh, than forcing them to study something that they don't see uh, initially. Why is it that they need to learn uh, as advanced calculus uh, without seeing how you, they can really apply in order to uh, to change the world so uh, um, that's what we that's what we do and it seems that our students like it and right. I have to say uh, I always uh, whatever I want to learn about things if we are doing well or not I would always go and talk to our students Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I'm so happy that, that you have time to listen to me. But uh, <laughs> if you really want to, if you really want to learn about it and and, uh, and see what's working and what's not, you should perhaps ask ask my students. Right. Well, and you had a, a number of years as a as a professor prior to coming to Lasand. So, what's your sense of their their technical skills and their communication skills. I mean, I understand that you're biased because you're involved with the program, but nonetheless, what are the differences you see in your students coming out of the Lausanne program versus those that might come out of a more traditional program? Yes. So, so I, I had firsthand experiences with several um, more traditional programs. And I, essentially, there were two types of uh, skills that people would be receiving at um, universities that, uh, uh, that that consider themselves highly research intensive, typically, engineering undergraduate students would be very well prepared theoretically. So that's what uh, mathematics and physics and uh, and uh, theories how things would work. Um, mm-hmm. But but it, w- it was very difficult for for them to understand real concepts and then. When they when they went to industry, it was very difficult for them, and I know so because some of them were my students as well uh, from right. from another university. And then I also worked at the university uh, that uh, had a, one of the best engineering programs I've ever seen, and it was very practical. So uh, these were the kids that came from uh, uh, from from prairies from. Uh, Farms and they were able to, uh, they were able to uh, the uh, dismantle carburetor and then put it together and get it better working. So they were very very practical. Uh, unfortunately, there was not enough time to teach uh, theory. And if you only know practical things, there is uh, a severe limitation for you, um, particularly at the undergraduate level. So what we wanted to do is to um, make sure that we have a balance uh, between, but we didn't between the, the, these two um, elements. But we didn't want to force uh, the education. You see, the best education is uh, you are best educated if you don't feel 
that you are being educated. Um, so uh, we we design it the way that uh, uh, the curriculum that that you uh, actually you you longing for some of these subjects to understand because it is all designed around your desire to improve your the environment to improve uh, um, the, uh, the social fabric of the society as we say and. Uh, and it is easy. To, by the way, I have to say it's not that difficult to design it. The key is to deliver it. So we did have uh, an opportunity that almost nobody else uh, I've seen have had, which is that we are hiring as hundred new people. The majority of our faculty and the overwhelming majority of our staff are new people that we are hiring with the knowledge, uh, uh, the clear knowledge that they will participate in this Renaissance engineering program. So we are hiring mm-hmm. only those that, that truly embrace the program and the principles and the deliverables um, and the way how they will be interacting with, with our students. Um, see, if we were to uh, try to do something similar in a well-established engineering school, it would be very difficult uh, because it's not easy to change uh, the way how people work and think and interact with one another and interact with students. So we, we're lucky, uh, in a sense. Yeah, you don't have all that bureaucracy weighing you down. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. So, so I, as dean, I, tr- I protect all my people, faculty and staff, from... Uh, the, uh, the nonsense of, of bureau- academic bureaucracy. So uh, I, I always uh, uh, take the blame for, for uh, um, everything. And I, I ask them to uh, dream aloud. To, I, give them, um, I, I give them carte blanche. And, and, uh, and, and you see, sometimes and it's great to, to have such an opportunity, like my colleagues do, but you have to also be prepared that a lot, a lot of them are going to make mistakes. Uh, and, uh, and in many cases, we um, don't know answers, but we always say that we are not afraid of not knowing the answers because we know that we will be able to find it together with other people. Uh, um, and, it, and if you work in, in such an environment that you just... Uh, stimulate not only others but to stimulate yourself to be to be a better colleague it it's uh, it, it's a terrific environment to to work in uh, it would be great if you were able to come and visit how we and see how we uh, uh, treat one another and, and how, how how wonderful it is to 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 see people smiling particularly young, young people. Uh, this is absolutely great. Something unheard of in an engineering school. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sure I, this is more, <laughs> more, more and more. I'm quite certain. What's really <laughs> wonderful in our case is that students are smiling and coming to us not only at the time when they celebrate their successes, either at home or personal or, or in academia. They come to us and, and share with... Uh, uh, with, with, with them um, much more uh, private uh, 
um, difficulties and, and problems. And perhaps because we also uh, introduced a, a system that is not that common really in, in North America, particularly in public universities. Uh, we, uh, um, uh, we went to uh, Oxford to take a look how they develop their mentoring prog- uh, program. Mm-hmm. So we, we did develop a, a mentoring every, every student at La Sonde, and we call them La Sondians. Every La Sondian has a mentor. A mentor is a different person than, than uh, somebody that is advising you on your career or, or, or the academic curriculum. Mentor is somebody that uh, is going to go out with you, share a tea or a, or a coffee or a beer, and talk about uh, things uh, that are of interest to you, or if not, uh, talk about m- movies and, um, and, um, uh, and go on a long walk to have a conversation about uh, whatever comes up. Uh, so uh, I, have, I have, I think... Uh, now four of of the students that I'm um, I am a mentor of, and um, each of our professors. That's what we all have, and some of our s- staff as well. Well, th- then you've you've picked the right uh, faculty, because it does take a a special type of uh, professor to be willing to share that time, spend that time when when there's all these other pressures of. Uh, you know, publishing and teaching and researching and all the other demands that are on most academics. Uh, uh, true, yes. Uh, by the way, so we, uh, what, what matters to us, um, of course, is research as well. I, I mean, uh, the truth is that you may have terrific undergraduate programs, but uh, your uh, prestige and uh, an academic profile will also be ju- always be judged by your colleagues based on your academic uh, strength, which is predominantly defined by uh, quality of research. So uh, we do um, have several research chairs that we were able to endow and create, or chairs that we we have uh, uh, together with industry. Uh, But but I don't believe in, in, in forcing all of us uh, to do research. There are some colleagues that are absolutely first-class researchers, and in our case, they have Canada Research Chairs, which is the very top chair in Canada, so we have a few of those, um, or, or the dedicated um, endowed, uh, endowed chair. Um, but a, a lot of people, they simply mm-hmm. love interacting with students and uh, do teaching. Um, or uh, do uh, other things such as um, doing research, but not necessarily in classical engineering subjects, but mm-hmm. but rather in new ways of, of pedagogy. So uh, we uh, developed our approach to promotion and tenure slightly differently. Typically, people would tell you that in academia, if you are a professor, you're evaluated based on the formula that uh, 40% of your time is dedicated to research, another 40 to teaching, and another 20 to um, administration. And um, in our case, we don't have that. We have a very flexible um, uh, distribution of your contributions. And uh, indeed, one area is education, but it's not just teaching, but education that means uh, exploring new ways 
uh, of, um, of of engineering uh, uh, pedagogy. Um, the the other one is research, which is very important. The uh, and, and another one is uh, citizenship, um, which is kind of administrative mm-hmm. uh, contributions, but but also contributions to the profession and to the society. And the fourth one is uh, innovation, which also means uh, um, we are uh, supporting entrepreneurial activities of of our professors. We we want all of them, if they wish so, to um, to create their own companies, uh, and we are supporting some of the companies, and we are providing them with space and with uh, seed funding as well. Fantastic. That's a really interesting approach towards. Uh engineering faculty and I, I it just seems like it would create a lot better a lot of good teachers and a lot of people who really want to be doing whatever they are doing you see in, in academia it's very important to understand to, to what are the talents and qualities of our colleagues and then rather than forcing them to to do something that they may not be very good at in order to fulfill the 40 40 20 uh, scenario the best is to align their uh, uh, their talents uh, with, uh, with with their duties um, and in our case um, we have colleagues that do predominantly research um, and but uh, research the way that our undergraduate students are also benefiting from it because we, we have research-based uh, courses uh, exclusively for undergraduate students so that there is this component and uh, we have colleagues that do predominantly uh, teaching, for example, except that we have one principle, that since we are all in, in La Sonde, since we are all professors, all of us, we ought to be involved in uh, the teaching. So um, even if we have the, the top-notch uh, research chairs, or if you are a dean like myself, um, we, we all are engaged in at least one undergraduate uh, class. And it's very important, uh, particularly for administrators like like myself, uh, because if you have an opportunity to interact with your own students, you develop a a better um, understanding and and sort of affinity towards towards your your students. Uh, So I prefer to teach always first-year classes because that's the way that uh, you see these students entering and then you see them graduating and then you, your your heart is growing when you when you see that so it's a great feeling <laughs> you talked a little bit earlier about the importance of messy experiments trying things you don't know what the outcome is going to be and i'm wondering if as you developed this program at lasand whether you had any sort of glorious failures whether you tried something that sounded really good at the time but it just didn't work, and you know what? You know what lessons you and the and the organization learned from that. Well, we we had lots of failures, by the way, ah, and, and that, <laughs> it's uh, and that's exactly what uh, what is great because it failure makes you humble and forces you to te- to to uh, think a bit uh, uh, deeper. So um, one of our failures, uh, I think, uh, was that uh, we created a very interesting new program in uh, something we, we called biological engineering. 
So and there are not too many. I don't think, in fact, there is any program of this kind in Canada, perhaps even in the United States. And, uh, and so the program was was terrific. It was a, it was a, a, a healthy mixture of uh, biology, uh, microbiology, and and of course and chemical engineering. So we created it. It looks beautiful on paper, but mm-hmm. we couldn't find anybody, uh, uh, professors that would be able to uh, deliver it the way that we um, that, that we developed. So, uh, uh, and not having a, a faculty that feels comfortable um, uh, uh, to move seamlessly between all these topics that we uh, that, uh, that we assign to ourselves, um, it just it forced us n- not to implement it, and we postponed it. So we are waiting um, for, for another two years. We gave ourselves two years to uh, take a look at it, experiment with some elements of the program, and and see um, what would be the better way to uh, identify the profile of faculty members that would be able to deliver the program. So uh, that, that, that was uh, perhaps the, one of the most spectacular failures uh, <laughs> of ours. Well, that, that's a good sign. If you're, not, if you're not occasionally failing, you're not, you're not really trying. Oh, absolutely. You're, uh, and you're not pushing the boundaries well enough, hard enough. Right, and if, if you're not taking the risks, and then if, if you don't have fear, then it means that you are not taking the risk. So we believe me, we, we have lots of fear, yeah. <laughs> but but we all but we also know how to celebrate things. Uh, we, whenever we have an opportunity, uh, either to celebrate uh, achievements of our students or or our faculty members or our friends or our alumni, that uh, we we always uh, we always take uh, the time to do so. It's very important to to show our appreciation to, to people that work with us. Absolutely. So as our uh, engineering commons hour here draws to the end, we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit. You know, you're creating a new curriculum from scratch. You're interacting with students and mentoring them. You're teaching a little bit. You're doing research. What do you do when you need to just get away from it all and unwind a bit? All of our colleagues, they, they all have very interesting um, hobbies and and, uh, um, and and they're quite fulfilling private lives. Um, what I do is I I like to uh, ride go karts. So, uh, <laughs> that's a fun. That's a fun hobby. Do you build them yourself or do you go to the track? Uh, so I I do build. I have a track just very close to where I live, so it's it's a little bit easier. Um, but uh, but I also I have I have another hobby that is very difficult to uh, um, uh, to, to implement. So whenever I have an opportunity, I really try to to spend quite a bit of time. Uh, I developed this pleasure of uh, riding um, elephants. <laughs> and um, I, by the way, it's tr- it's truly not not a joke. And what why is it? Because um, uh, when elephant is standing up. Or sitting down, you can see it. It's uh, the elephant's body is wobbling uh, in a very peculiar way, an unpredictable way. So, if 
if you are not going to be in sync with what he or she is doing, then you, 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 you're, you're going to fall and have a problem, of course. So I, I just uh, liked it because it, it, it helps me keeping uh, my own bo- balance of my body. Um, so I love it. I, I try to do it uh, at least twice a year, typically in India. We have a very good partnership with colleagues in India. So I go there at least four or five times a year. And out of that, half of it, I, I go and spend some time riding elephants. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd say it's one of the more unique hobbies that I've ever heard of. Oh, is that right? Well, I know the first time, why so? The first time I, I did it, I, I fell and almost lost my eye. So it, it just it forced me to uh, think deeper about it. <laughs> well, Giannis, it sounds like the, uh, the students who come to the Lausanne School of Engineering are benefiting from... Uh, great faculty and a great program. And so I'm kind of wondering for our listeners, those engineers that uh, may not have the opportunity to attend uh, your school or those who have already graduated and find themselves out in industry and are wishing to improve their abilities in, say, communication uh, and cooperation and collaboration, uh, do you have any advice on how they might become more like a Renaissance engineer? Uh, By the way, I truly believe that uh, all of us engineers are – ready to become Renaissance engineers in whichever sense it serves us. It doesn't mean that all of the engineers need to be Renaissance in the sense that that we developed it. Uh, Because uh, you you have to simply uh, learn more about yourself and embrace your own qualities and the way that you think about yourself, your, your friends around it, and and to those who, who surround you. Once you know yourself better, uh, then it's very important to uh, challenge yourself. Uh, challenge yourself with, with something that uh, is new, different. Um, and, and by the way, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that if you are a Renaissance engineer, it doesn't mean that you have to have a better communication skills than, 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 than the other fellow. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, what really matters is is uh, that you're going to have a, a deeper understanding of uh, who you are. That's 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 the best way. And and if you are unable to communicate it uh, in, uh, in words, well, so so be it. And uh, you you may uh, you may express yourself in painting or or in in music. I mean, when we ask. Uh, students to uh, when they when students are um, are being admitted to to La Sonde, we always ask them uh, to tell us who they are, what is it that interests them. We do pay attention to uh, um, uh, their marks and grades from from high schools, but I have to say I pay much more attention to uh, um, how they are expressing themselves. And some of them they send a video clip. And some of them they send their painting, and some of them they say there's some music. Uh, th- those are the things that, that really show us um, a little bit better who they are as as individuals. I, I I have a lot of colleagues, deans, when we meet, and they all um, say that well, we accept students only above eighty nine. 
And the other fellow would say, we are such students only above 92. I say, it's rather meaningless, because what I would like to do is to admit a student body that reflects on the society. I mean, there are some, uh, some students uh, with terrific uh, high grades and some that have totally different skills. In, in fact, uh, my own um, experiences as dean, I uh, have to say that the majority of, of those who are uh, um, my uh, wealthiest alumni, they, 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 they were uh, C plus, B minus <laughs> students. Right. Not, I, I, I'm not saying so publicly to my own students. Right. Um, because I want them to be A plus students. Absolutely. But that's the reality. Um, so I want to make sure that my students, but my Lassondians, are, are tr- truly reflecting on uh, uh, the society out there, rather than being uh, sterile, steri- 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 uh, too much. Right. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a, a fantastic experiment going here at, at Lassonde. It, it'll be interesting to, to, uh, uh, to come back in a few years and see those students that you graduated in the coming year uh, as they or as they're out in industry for four, five, ten years, uh, exactly what kind of a uh, influence they can have on on uh, the engineering profession as well as society at large. Yes, that would be the ultimate test because we may have terrific approaches, theories. We may have fun while doing it, uh, but ultimately, what really matters is uh, um, what is it that our graduates will be able to. Uh, 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 to do, how they will be able to contribute, how they will be able to uh, to change the world. We always ask them to, to do so, to change the world. And it's not just us, I have to say, we, we, we've got a, a lot of help um, uh, uh, from a company uh, from the United States. I don't know if you heard about IDEO uh, yes. out of California. So we, we, we hired IDEO to work with us on the concept of the Renaissance engineer. And uh, they develop, I think, maybe 34 recommendations to, to us of specific programs, including, by the way, the uh, this passion project and so on. So uh, um, we are we are trying to implement some of some of the things that our students told us are um, m- more important to them. Terrific. Well, so if if our listeners are uh, interested in learning more about the, the Lausanne School of Engineering or the, the concept of a Renaissance engineer, is there, is there a good place for us to, uh, to send them? Uh, yes, please, the, the best way is to please send them all to me directly. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, as, as you can see, I like talking to people, particularly about subjects that, that uh, I am and we are passionate about. I'd be happy to talk to them. Um, uh, I have uh, lots of uh, quite a few terrific colleagues that, that are more eloquent than I am, and they will be able to interact with uh, with these colleagues. Uh, we also um, finance or produced um, uh, a documentary that we're going to release later this fall. It's about uh, uh, the, uh, um, the the Renaissance of engineering, uh, and okay. we, we hired an, an independent. Uh, director and gave him uh, carte blanche and quite a bit of money uh, to um, <laughs> to inter to to find uh, interesting people all over the world 
um, and we're going to have a first screening, I think, sometime mid-October. So uh, oh, we, we will release the movie and it may help others as well. Okay. And, and is there a, a particular website or email or something I can uh, list in the show notes for those who might be interested? Yes. So the perhaps the best website is uh, uh, U one word, dot C-A. So Lassonde, it is L-A-S-S-O-N-D-E dot Yorku, Y-O-R-K-U dot C-A. And, uh, and all of the other phone numbers and emails, including direct phone number to, to me and, and email, it's all out there. Fantastic. Well, Giannis, I will, uh, we'll let you go now, but, uh, I, I do want to thank you so very much for your time and, and, uh, sharing some of your experiences and your expertise with us this evening. It was absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so very much. It was great having you on and congratulations on everything with the school. I mean, in two years, it sounds like you guys have come a long way. That's a great accomplishment. Yes. Thank you. Two, uh, I'd say two years, it's, it's relatively easy. We'll see how we will look like in four extra years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll be following along now. You, you've got my interests. So thank you. If I'm ever in Toronto, I'll shoot you an email. Uh, please do so. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson. 